Today's sermon is Holy Children Survive and Thrive. And as you can immediately pick up, that relates to or is an echo off the fact that we just had Children's Vacation Bible School this past week. Holy children not only survive through the hard times, they also thrive in the hard times. And I have seen that in you, in many of you, and in other brothers and sisters throughout this land and throughout the world uh, during the age of COVID and disruption and deconstruction going on in our intellectual areas and our politics right now. Holy children survive because God brings us through and not only survive, but also thrive. So today we're going to be turning in a few minutes to uh, our primary scripture is from Isaiah chapter four, verses two through four. And I can just go ahead and tell you, we will be returning to that segment of scripture next Sunday also, because I'm only giving you a part of the second half of what would be called the inclusio, uh, the kind of good news messianic passages of Isaiah chapter two and Isaiah four in the midst of a whole lot of judgment and warning going on in Isaiah's introductory chapters running one through five. We'll come back to this and unpack it and learn from God's word in the, these verses from Isaiah four next week as well and move on to the second half of this little segment of messianic prophecy going on in these verses from Isaiah. Four. We'll talk about the canopy and uh, the cloud uh, next, next week. But today, uh, we're going to be turning to just some opening verses. However, before I even do that, I want to just frame some things for you. Remember, Isaiah, at the heart of Old Testament prophecy, challenges us and calls us to the message of God's holiness. God is a holy God the trifold declaration of who God is at the heart of the matter uh, by the seraphim. We opened with it. We returned to Isaiah 6 in the call to worship. You probably noticed that. We sang a hymn that, that reflects off of that. God is trifold, ultimate, completely, and Trinitarian. Okay, Kodesh, 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 holy, holy, holy. And we as his people are called to be holy. Do you have a positive relationship with God? If you do, then you are becoming more and more holy. Conversely, other side of that coin, if you're not growing in holiness, you need to be asking yourself and praying a whole lot about your relationship with God. Uh, we don't put a lot of stock in... We're, you know, at the more Protestant end of churches, I think, that have colors in our sanctuary. But I can tell you, by the way, I'll also just note the fact that we're back to green finally after being in a whole lot of other colors. You ever wonder what's going on with these colors? Well, the green means we're in what's called, I don't like this term, ordinary time. But what the green means is we're supposed to be growing spiritually. It's not a high season like Easter season or Advent and Christmas, but we're supposed to be growing spiritually in the Lord. Now, if we're going to be holy, uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, let me ask you this. If someone murders a whole lot of people and gets arrested and convicted and sentenced and ends up in solitary confinement, 
Is that person necessarily holy just because he's separated from everybody else? What do you think? Uh, probably not, right? Uh, if, he's, if he's in solitary confinement, uh, outraged against society, and hoping how someday, if he doesn't get the death sentence, he's going to get out and murder some more people. Would you say he's in holy growth and speculation? What do you think? I don't think so. So being separated unto itself does not bring holiness. Let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Just because I don't want my children to be around bad children, so I segregate my children from the ones I know who are definitely bad, does that make my children good and holy necessarily? If I homeschool them, because I'm worried about the other kids at the public schools, uh, but I'm not creating an environment that's holy, does that make them holy just because I pull them out from some of the other kids? No. Um, what about if I send my kids to private school because I'm worried about what's going on with the public schools? Does that make my kids automatically holy just because I extracted them from the public school? Hmm? What if I don't let my kids play with certain kids that I know are drug dealers? Does that mean my kids aren't, aren't going to get into drugs automatically? Does that mean that? No, I know a lot of good families and a lot of, a lot of folks that really segregate their kids a lot. You know, the best private schools, the best gated neighborhoods. I mean, I've been around a lot of gated neighborhoods, folks. I've been in where you have to be a millionaire to be in that neighborhood, and I've pastored people whose kids are drug addicts. Segregation itself, separation itself, does not automatically make people holy. And let's turn this around, get really close to home on Jesus and his message. Uh, there was a group uh, in the time of Jesus called the Essenes who were very serious about God and very serious about the coming Messiah. And in fact, a lot of their writings echo fairly well with John the Baptist ministry and some of the things you read in the New Testament and definitely back in Isaiah and other prophets. But they segregated themselves off because they thought Jerusalem and the temple and everything were so corrupt. And their read on it was, was correct. There was a lot of corruption in, in even the most religious society. They saw a lot, of a lot of hypocritical actions and deeds. And so they segregated themselves off. When Jesus came, let me ask you this. Did Jesus separate himself from everybody who was evil? Did Jesus, as the Holy One, separate himself from every sinner? If he did, he would never want to talk to a single person, right? They probably would have needed to just, Mary needed to give birth to him, and they need to send him off into a bubble. That was not Jesus' model. In fact, Jesus shocked not only the Essenes, obviously, off in Qumran and other places they were, but he shocked the Pharisees because he intersected with and even ministered to and even ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. Yet his holiness overcame and was more powerful than their sin. That's a basic message we're all supposed to get from the New Testament. And it's not like, isn't that interesting historically, Martin? That happened 2,000 years ago. No, that's about you and me too and the way we're supposed to live. So the point of holiness is not outright separation into solitary confinement and we're not called to put our children into bubbles and think by the way that's going to save them and save their souls unto eternal life jesus calls us to a different way it's to be holy in the midst of we're not of the world but we are called to be in the world as john says so that brings us to uh, what we're going to be preaching on today and you've already heard my basic application for us and for our families and for our lifestyle now, let's turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 
4. Again, as I said, just the first part of a segment here, the, the second aside of the inclusio here on the messianic good news in the midst of a whole lot of judgment. Uh, Isaiah today, verses 2 through 4 of chapter 4. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called Kodesh, holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst, by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. And then two passages related in the New Testament are called to be holy. God chooses us and calls us to be holy. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and uh, the first two-thirds of chapter, uh, verse 4. This is from the Apostle Paul in the midst of a whole long um, message here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then to... 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So today, and you can follow in your notes, I have this outlined for you. Number one, and if you're, if you're online, we love having you with us. Uh, you can access the notes on our website. Follow along. Print them off and make your own notes or make them electronically. Number one, God is holy. He is utterly distinct in his goodness and moral majesty. He is utterly distinct in his goodness and moral majesty. Now, I have to address this briefly because I can tell you, if you get ambitious and decide, I'm going to look up in a Bible dictionary or in a word study, or I'm sad to say this, even in an article I saw in Ligonier Table Talk, and we love giving you Table Talk. You know it's on our website as a basic resource. But I read an article a while back where they talked about the fact that, look, um, the word, uh, the, the Semitic word, the Hebrew word, 
uh, for holy means separate, okay, which, which is true as a word study because the Semitic languages, they all relate on this and they all have words that are similar having to do with being separate. But beyond mere word studies, the Bible's message is clear. You don't have to get to the New Testament to this. It's all through the Old Testament and definitely in the prophet we're dealing with this year, Isaiah. That God's holiness and his glory are not simply characterized by his transcendent otherness. I have a reason for going into this with you. I'm going to get to it now. But also, not just his otherness, but also specifically his moral majesty is what makes him distinct, okay? The Bible reveals God's holiness and glory are not simply being set apart, but more important, more importantly, that he is majestic in his goodness. As, God, as God's own son, Jesus says to the rich young ruler who approaches him and says, Good teacher, and Jesus re responds immediately. Y'all remember this from Mark's gospel? I spent a lot of time on this, right? Jesus turns around and says, why do you call me good? Only who is good? God is good. So specifically, God's perfect goodness, his purity, his justice, his mercy, and his steadfast love. So let me explain this to you. There were other Semitic language nations and nations all over the globe. In Jesus's day and all the way through nowadays too, but definitely in Jesus's day, that had false religions and false gods, even malevolent and even mercurial gods. You didn't know how they were gonna come out on certain situations. They're very passionate. They're very human-like. They're very anthropop, you know, they're, they're very much like humans. They were called holy because they were supernatural. So the separation had to do with their supernatural identity and power. And I'm telling you, the Bible is very clear that that is not the be all end all on God's holiness. Uh, they, they were called holy because they were other than normal. And so what I'm telling you is if you look this up in some Bible dictionaries and even in some articles by some folks that I otherwise like, you can be easily misled on what the Bible is saying about God's holiness. The Bible reveals at the heart and height of God's holiness is his moral majesty. For instance, the classic, God's own definition of who he is. You wanna know who God is? In the Old Testament, we get it. Exodus 34, six and seven. God, when Moses wants to see God's glory, hears what God reveals when Moses is only allowed to see the backside of the echo of God's uh, glory. Then the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord God. Who is he? Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love and truth, who keeps steadfast love for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. God is righteous and just and good and gracious and merciful. He is holy in his moral majesty. And so also, as we spent a lot of time on at the beginning of this year when we looked at Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah does have that encounter that leads to, you know, echoes off in the hymn, holy, holy, holy. 
when Isaiah, the holiest man of his age, the great prophet of Israel, of Judah, actually encounters God, what's his immediate distress? Is it you're supernatural and I'm not? Is it you have powers that I don't? No. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among an impure people of impure lips and actions. That's the crisis. It's in the presence of God's moral majesty. And so, for example, in Isaiah 35, verse 8, we link, Isaiah links, God's word links, God's holy exaltation and glory with this moral majesty. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. Which brings us to number two. Because God is holy, his people are holy, and they specifically, we specifically are holy unto God in his moral majesty. Now, in 1 Peter, which Reed has been studying this, this semester uh, with our youth, in 1 Peter, in, in verses 15 and 16, this come, these, these verses come in the midst of a discussion that's going on. Peter has been dealing with our salvation and our being born again unto salvation. He's going to come back to the salvation, but he turns over to a, a, a particular exhortation to holiness right now. So look, listen to what's going on. So he's talking about being saved and being born again. And then here's the exhortation. But as he who called you is holy, you shall also be holy in your what? In your conduct. Do you see that? In your conduct. Don't just have nice thoughts about me. I'm talking about the way you live, God says. This is holiness. You shall be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And likewise, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, dealing with conduct. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. What's saints translating into English for us? Hagioi. That means literally holy ones. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Christians are called what? Holy ones. And as you can see, Ephesians, Peter, in the New Testament, all throughout, holy ones, Christians, are called to live, act, speak as holy people. And it's holy to the Lord. Okay, so again, I, I want you to catch this language. Holiness is not only holy from the bad, but it is holy to God. You hear what I'm saying now? It's not just that I get away from the bad. I'm, it's not just that I'm holy from. The main emphasis in the holiness statements in the law are holy unto God. Because we're supposed to be attached to him and his moral majesty and follow his moral majesty. Not just get away from the bad joined with him, union. And this is what we see in the New Testament, union with Christ. That's what being saved means. So for instance, Exodus 28, 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it. What's the big title on everything that is temple related, sacral, holy to the Lord. This is dedicated to the Lord. You Christian are called to be dedicated to the Lord. Union with Christ. Which brings us to number three. People in a positive relationship with God are holy, loving and obedient in his ways. And people in a negative relationship with God are unholy, unloving, ungracious, and disobedient. Why is Jerusalem in so much trouble? 
Well, Isaiah dealing with the leadership in between these two inclusio passages I'm telling you about, Isaiah 3, verse 8. Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Speech, deeds, conduct. But for us as Christians, Philippians 2, 14, 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I mean, it's a sad thing when you see people who are Christians devolve into turn away from the Holy Spirit and turn into complainers. I mean, it's a sad thing when God is blessing churches and ministries and everybody wants to take pot shots at this or that. They should have painted this color. That I mean, come on, folks. I mean, get with the Lord here. So uh, people who are actually in a positive relationship with the Holy Spirit will reflect that in goodness and graciousness. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is Jesus' way. So forth, God treasures, claims, and sanctifies his chosen children forever, even through times of judgment. Was Judah, was Jerusalem going through a time of judgment? And could Isaiah see a whole lot more coming over the next hundred years? Absolutely. But God also promised Isaiah that God would save and preserve a remnant, okay, his holy people. God will preserve, as you can see in your notes, I have it here for you, even through judgment, he calls as holy unto himself and records for life. You know about the book of life? Hmm? You want to be in the book of life. This tells you God will put in the registry for life everybody who really belongs to him, even when the world is getting exploded. True citizens of holy Zion. And it shall come to pass, Isaiah 4, 3, that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem. I don't read this as being just who physically is hanging around. This is people who are actually in relationship with God here now. True Zion will be called holy, everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. And God does this even in the midst of judgment. God is just. Remember, he is in his moral majesty, he's holy. So he brings justice. He brings the wind, the spirit of fire and burning. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, he'll bring you through. Are we in a season of what may very apparently be a season of God's judgment on the world? Will God, in the midst of it, even through that judgment, save his people? Yes. That was God's good news and God's sure word through Isaiah and what was coming to Judah and Jerusalem, it is God's sure word to us now. Okay, so finally, five. God's holy children do not simply survive, but further, they thrive. I just wish I weren't living here. No, no, no. God has placed you here to grow, <laughs> to grow in holiness and sanctification, to be lights in a dark age. New Testament talks about this right and left, folks. You are to shine as stars in the midst of a dark an evil age, Philippians 2, right? Have the mind of Christ. Be fruitful. 
and look ahead to what these passages are talking about. Again, more about this next week, but these are messianic millennial passages. It's already broken in, like I said last week, but it, more is coming. The completeness is coming. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Be holy this week, not just running away from things, but connected to God, holy to him and holy to his way of gracious justice. Live and thrive this week in your union with Jesus. And as Jesus says, John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever remains in me, whoever truly lives in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Polycarpus, not just carpus, not just carpus, folks. Polycarpus, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Go with Jesus. He'll bring you through this, and he will bring blessings like what we saw last week with Vacation Bible School this whole summer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.